Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. We actually have something um, that we want to do this morning that's a little different um, for Mother's Day. So, hey, I I want to be, be real. I want to be transparent. I want to be honest and, and move in compassion and recognize that Mother's Day is not, is not always easy for every mom in the room. And that there are some in our midst for whom Mother's Day is actually a really painful day. And, and so we're, we've been in this season, um, Lauren and, and our team have been reminding us to remember the words and the foundations um, as we reset the foundations and then build upon the foundations. You guys remember, this is where we've been for several months now. And one of the um, promises of our house, if I could go ahead and have Liz and Mary Beth come on up. One of the promises of our house that we have been remembering and reminding ourselves and declaring and pulling into our present and our future is that we will be a house where everyone who wants a baby gets a baby. This is a prophetic word over our family from Paul Manwaring years and years ago. And I just want you guys to know, we have miracle babies in the house. We have testimony babies in the house. But we also want to hold both, both truths and tensions. So today, we just I have two moms with me on the stage, Liz Fava and Mary Beth Francis. And both of them have a history with the Lord in, in, in their story of becoming mothers, in, in infertility and, and in child loss, two things that can be so painful. And so we want to hold the truth in tension today and move in compassion towards mothers who may be in that same season themselves and hold you in our hearts, hold you in our arms, and also to declare a line in the sand that we believe what the Lord has promised over this house, that we can both be compassionate and loving and hold you in your pain and also declare the truth, which is that in this house, everyone who wants a baby gets a baby. We're declaring prophetic promises over you and your families today. And there are two people who want to release their own testimony and their own blessing over you, and they'll do a much better job than I ever could. So I'm going to release it to them. Hi. So good to see you all. Um, Daniel and myself have been a part of the Bethel family for a dozen years now. And when we got married and moved to Atlanta, even before we were married, I felt like the Lord really like spoke to me and said, do you trust me to build your family? And I feel like that's also really like the Lord, that he's not going to just tell you something. He's probably going to ask you a question. (laughs) And it's like, okay, all right. So I held on to that. And when it got to be time where we were really thinking about planning our family, I just had that in, in my mind. And so it informed the way that we moved in that process. And so time went on and more time went on and more time went on and it wasn't happening. And I'm like, okay, what is this? But I still had this question of the Lord that he asked me, do you trust me to build your family? And so we walked out a six-year process of waiting for Samuel, um, our first son, to be born. And went through lots of different, all the medical things, all the natural health things. I tried just about everything. If you told me to stand on one foot and jump up and down on a Tuesday facing the West, I would have tried it. Like, whatever it was, I was willing. And the words just kept coming back from whoever medical provider, like, there's nothing wrong with you. We don't know why you're not getting pregnant. It was just one of those unexplained infertility things. But I had a a promise from the Lord, and I know that he keeps his promises, and I know that he's good. And he said, you trust me to build your family. I trusted that word that that meant that I was going to get to build a family. So um, we tried a number of things and kind of got to where we were coming to the end of our rope of, like, every option that we feasibly could have pursued we went through and surgeries and all kind of stuff and it was hard you know like the if you've been in that particular waiting season where you're so attuned to every 
day of the month and where you are in a cycle and you're counting these these 14 days and these 14 days and like you're so attuned to it for month after month after month. It's painful, you know? But one thing I know, and I'm a professional counselor, is, you know, pain doesn't discredit faith. Like they don't cancel each other out. You can be in pain and you can still have faith because faith is not an emotion. And you can also still have hope. But we also have to watch that line. You know, there's that scripture in Proverbs that talks about hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a a promise fulfilled is a tree of life. I probably butchered that a little bit. Um, But I was able to find those places where I could be in pain and those people who were safe for me to be in pain with. And they didn't, you know, like, it's a challenge for us in a supernatural culture. We may want to come in and try and, like, fix something or let me give you this book or maybe if you change this thing. And, you know, it was like, okay, that isn't what's going on here for whatever reason. But being able to maintain what I needed to. And so we kind of got to the end of we were on, like, a three-month cycle of, like, try these medications. And at the end of that, they were like, that's kind of the last thing we know to tell you to do. And then maybe if you want to move forward with IVF, you can. Like, it, But I was like, if nothing's wrong, like, I don't feel like I need to do that. Like, okay, do I trust the Lord to build my family? So wouldn't you know, it also was, like, Mother's Day right in that time. And I was, it was, like, six years in, and I'm like, I don't think I can go to church that day and do what we just did. Like, it felt too raw in that moment. Like, I wanted to stand when they said, would all the mothers in the room stand? And I had a good friend who's also a therapist, and she's like, you don't have to go. (laughs) You don't have to torture yourself in that way. Like, you love Jesus, it's okay. Like, you don't have to be in that place if it's too much in that moment. And so Daniel and I took a last-minute trip to Nashville, one of the best trips we've ever done, pre-kids, we had a great time. And then I, I finished that last round of medication, and we didn't get pregnant. And then one month passed, and we got pregnant, doing nothing. <laughs> it was just the next month. And, like, I wish I could tell you that was some great formula. That's not how God works. But for us, that was where it was. And we got pregnant with our Samuel, and it was like, man, there's something about this kid in this moment. And I had a therapist at the time for myself who was like, you, do you know, like, there was something about that one egg and that one sperm in this moment for this child. And I'm, I know I'm partial, but a lot of you know my Samuel. There's something special about that kid, you know, where it's like, I don't know what that's going to look like long term, but I can see, like, that kid was born in this moment in time for a reason. And so then I'm like, oh, great, promise fulfilled. Then we wanted to have a second kid. This will be easy, right, God? We went over that. We went over that mountain, right? And it was like another two-year process of waiting, same things. And I'm like, okay, I know my body does this. It's done it. Now, the beautiful thing was I had that memorial stone of like, I have a baby in my arms and I've seen my body do this and I believe it can happen again. But for whatever reason, I didn't get to pass over that painful season again (laughs) as much as I would have liked to. And I feel like for what some reason the Lord trusted me to be able to hold that particular pain. He knew for some reason that I could endure it because he wanted to bring about these two special boys. And I got my Caleb. So they're four years apart, and they're amazing. And it was another one of those, this boy is also really special in his own unique way, and he needs to be here in this particular moment of time. But I was grateful for a body around us that even in that, even in that one Mother's Day where maybe I had to step away, I didn't like dip out on my community. I had people locking arms with me, walking through this, so many faces in the room who are in that process. But it's okay at times to trust what does your heart need? You know, what's going to be that, that balm that's going to be soothing in that moment? And what's the pain that's like maybe a little bit too much in that moment? I just feel this need to tell you that's okay. That you get to do this with Holy Spirit and you get to partner with him and he'll prompt you, you know, because he's a kind father and he's that like, he is that eagle, that mothering hen that wants to take you and put you under his wing and that's a tender spot. You know, he's covering you with his feathers, and that's a softness there. So I just believe today, if you're walking through a season of pain, or you're in one of those raw spots, that you will feel the comfort of a father 
who is also that mothering hen, who is that eagle, who has those gentle feathers, that he would scoop you up under his wings and that he would hold you there and that you would find those community people around you who can make space for that pain and be with you in it while still encouraging that hope and that faith, you know, that he is good. And I believe that his promises are good. And if he makes a promise, he follows through on it every time every time and we know that he is good always and so if something in our life we feel like doesn't look like his goodness we need to bend to him he doesn't need to bend to us he doesn't redefine his goodness based on what we think is good we redefine our lives according to that understanding that he is good even if that means sometimes we walk through pain for a while he is always good he's always good so we've got these two beautiful boys. If you see me, I mean, I'm amazed I'm in white pants today because I figured I'd have peanut butter and mud prints on my pants by now. That's part of the testimony too, right? Clean pants come again after the little kid years. But that's, that's our story there. She came prepared. I didn't. Um, so I'm Mary Beth, and my motherhood journey started with loss. Um, seven and a half years ago, I was very pregnant with our first daughter, Opal Joy. And when I was um, 41 and a half weeks pregnant with her, we found out that she had already gone to heaven. So... Um, I quit my job to stay at home with her, and all of my dreams, all of my childhood dreams were only motherhood. That was it. That was my, um, that was it for me. That's all I wanted. That was the highest and best um, career choice for me. And um, so I grieved a lot, and um I, I wrote a lot when that, I don't know if, I'm sure most of you in the room have experienced some sort of loss. And so you probably know that sometimes that pain just comes in like a wave and you, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know when you're going to get triggered. You don't know um, what's going to do it to you or what question's going to come up or doubt or fear. But when those waves would come and I would feel like this is going to take me under, this wave is literally going to take me out, um, I would get my computer out and I would write and I would just get it all out. I would just, every emotion, every question, all the what ifs, all the, all the fears, all the unknowns, I would just, usually they would come one at a time, praise the Lord for that, but um, one at a time, I would just um, get all of those things out, everything I was feeling, all the ugly stuff, all the very raw stuff, I got it out. And some of the stuff I have not shared with a soul, <laughs> just ripped it up or deleted it. Um, that's the beauty of a computer. You can just delete everything. Um, but then I would ask God what he had to say about everything I had just said. Um, and every single time, without fail, he met me in those moments. And that verse in Psalm 34, 18, it says, um, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And that's like a really good verse to memorize. Like, you should really hold it in your heart. But for me, that was, it wasn't just like a Sunday school verse. Like, I was living that out. Like, the Lord was near to my broken heart. And he carried me. He really carried me through every single wave. And I would come out and I, I never felt consumed by the waves. And I always, always felt peace. And I always felt his presence. And I always felt his comfort. And it would come in the form of, you know, he would remind me of, you know, a promise that he made or, um, you know, a prophetic thing, or he would give me a vision, or he would remind me of scripture, just like always pointing me to the truth. And 
Um, so I just found a lot of freedom. I can talk, I mean, I'm, clearly it's still painful, but I can talk about it and not relive the trauma of it because the Lord has come into those places with me. And so he's really set me free. Like his truth really does set us free. Like the Bible's very true. Um, <laughs> um, so in that um, process, I wrote a lot. I, I worshiped a lot. You know, in Isaiah 61, it says he gives us the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so in those moments of despair, and believe me, I felt those, um, I would worship sometimes, not every time, but I would worship a lot. And that really brought a lot of freedom because you're really just refocusing from like, from your despair, you're focusing on the truth of who God is. Um, I, would, I would hold on to hope through nurturing like prophetic um, words that I've gotten. A lot of my prophetic words have been about motherhood, almost all of them. Um, and I would just hold on to those things. Um, I did a lot of counseling, praise the Lord for <laughs> the Stockmans. Um, they've changed my life forever, thank you. Um, and um, we did some inner healing and also deliverance. I've been delivered of a spirit of despair um, and discouragement. Um, that's another subject for another day. But um, I wanna tell you about one of the inner healing experiences that I had um, not too long after we lost Opal. My husband and I met with um, some mentors and spiritual parents of ours that love to do inner healing. And um, we went back to a place that um, was very tormenting for me. Um, the place where I found out that my daughter didn't have a heartbeat anymore was the triage room at the hospital. And I just, you know, there were, there were some holy moments in that room, um, but there was a lot of trauma in that room, and I was just very tormented by that. And so um, we went back there, kind of, you know how inner healing goes, like you kind of go in your imagination to that place. And um, I saw, we, we asked a question, I don't know what it was, maybe, you know, where were you, Lord, or what do you have to say, what's your truth here? And I saw a picture, and like a, vin a vision of um, an angel in the room just standing, um, like he was so, like he took his job so seriously, and, but he was very sad um, and uh, just very somber, like it was a very holy job for him. And he was holding a, um, a, a like a bottle or a, a beaker kind of a thing. And um, every time we cried, like every time, there was a tear, he would just run up as fast as he could and wipe the tears from our eyes and put it in the beaker. And um, it would just fill up the beaker. And um, it really shifted, it brought so much, um, I just felt so seen and valued by the Lord in the middle of the most traumatic thing in my life. Um, I felt so known, like, you know me, you care so deeply about every single tear, and none of them were wasted, like, he, wow. he saved them, so I don't know what he's going to do with all of them, but um, maybe bless you guys <laughs> with some of them, but um, I was sharing that vision with a friend of mine who also experienced child loss. She was like, well, you know that's in the Bible. And I was like, what? And she was like, in Psalms, I'm just going to read this to you. Um, in Psalm 56, 8, it says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And I was kind of looking at this whole Psalm, Psalm 56, David wrote it. And he wrote it when he was being chased by King Saul. This was like one of the first times that King Saul was like really just like after him. 
And so he fled to the Philistines. He fled to another nation. He was in exile. And, um, and it even, like, in the NSA, NASB, it says, you have taken account of my wonderings. And that wonderings is because he was a wanderer. He was in exile when he wrote this. And, um, you know, he had, he had been anointed king already. Like, Samuel... I don't know how long before this was written, but Samuel had anointed him as king, had declared these promises of who he was as a king. And he had killed Goliath and had all these victories. And now he's being chased in a foreign nation. And then after this, he ends up in a cave, the cave of Adullam. And, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in these places where we're feeling chased down by um, the enemy who's trying to take us down like those waves of grief where you feel like, I'm, this is it, <laughs> this is it for me. And I, um, you know, if you read through this whole Psalm, which I encourage you to do, you know, he, um, just like a lot of Psalms, it's like you see the roller coaster of David's emotions of like, you're so gracious, Lord, I trust in you. What can mere man do to me? And then it's like, you know, you feel like the weight of his, like, the cave <laughs> that he's in. Um, and so I, I just, I wanted to release this to you guys that, um, you know, some of you, you know, I've had some very happy Mother's Days, and I've had some very painful Mother's Days, and I've had several that have been a mixture of both. And I'm sure, I'm really thankful for the staff here that has made space for each of the mothers in the room, and each of us, even if you're not a mother, we all have pain, um, that you can be here and you can be present with where you're at, um, no matter what category you fit in, if it's a happy Mother's Day, if it's a very, very painful Mother's Day, or somewhere else. <laughs> um, um, and I just wanted to um, pray for you guys. And, um, yeah, if you, if you've experienced child loss or infertility, um, I know it's vulnerable. I know it's vulnerable, but if you don't mind standing up and letting us love you, that would be, um, we would love to honor you and love you. And I would love to pray for you and we can just lay hands on you. So if you don't mind standing up or if you don't want to, you don't have to, because I know you, you can just be you in this moment, but, but I would love to pray for you. Do you mind standing? Thank you. And if you don't mind, if you're around these people, will you just put your hands on them, love on them? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your courage to stand up. I know it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability. So thank you, God. So God, I pray that you bring your comfort and that your nearness would carry these women through, that you would carry these women through, that you would give them courage to believe you in the middle of the cave, in the middle of exile, that they would believe the words that you have spoken, just like David believed the words that you spoke about him, that he was king in the middle of a foreign nation. Um, and as um, they experience their whatever emotions they do, I just pray that you meet them with your tender kindness and your faithfulness and your grace. Would you meet them so tenderly? Thank you, God. Thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. And I do just pray for that comfort that today would be a day that they felt so chased down by your goodness and your unfailing love, God. And I pray that this would be a season where they feel chased by your goodness and unfailing love, just like it says in Psalm 23. Surely your goodness will follow me all the days of my life. So may that be a testimony. And I do pray, God, that every single promise, everything you've said would come to pass in the lives of the women that are longing for children. Everything, God, 
everything in the waiting and the here and the not yet. I pray that you would um, meet each, each person in each detail of their journeys, that you would not waste one tear, that you would not waste one moment. Um, and we just say thank you, God, that you're the carrier of our sorrows and you're so good. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you both so much. Hey, real quick, um, Lauren is going to come up and, and uh, share a beautiful word with us. I also just wanted to say as she's coming up, I felt in the room that there were also some of you who might not be yet in the season where you're trying to have children, but you've had word curses spoken over you from physicians who have said that you never will. So the lie or the curse of PCOS or um, other things that are happening. So we just want to stand with you right now and say no in the name of Jesus and break every curse and every attack on your life that would try to uh, instill fear in the name of Jesus. We just break it right now. We say no in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you. Are y'all just grateful for people in our environment who just live a life of such connectedness to the Father and then break off a piece of their life for us? I just feel so grateful for you two, Liz and Mary Beth, um, just for living with the realness of who the Father is and not changing our belief to match our circumstances. Like for just standing in it until his goodness prevails <laughs> and being in it so beautiful. Thank you for just breaking off a piece of your life. I'm so grateful, uh, you know, what... What was said by Paul Manwaring in February, he said, revisit those foundations. And I don't want to change the subject until he does. And the Lord said through Paul, he said, there are things in previous seasons or in previous rooms of Bethel Atlanta's history that are actually meant to be laid in the foundation of where we are today in order for us to build upwards. And, you know, we were in a staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and our kids' team, Kristen and Michaela, they're like, everyone who wants a baby gets a baby at Bethel Atlanta. Remember that time? Remember that word? Remember that prayer up on the front of ABC when all these moms came up? And then, you know, 9, 12, something months later, we had this burst of miracle babies. <laughs> Because everyone who wants a baby gets a baby. It's part of our testimony. It's part of our DNA. It's part of who he said we are as a church. And so this is what we're, we are re-digging these wells that we have already walked through because they're actually meant for today. We're not sharing stories for the sake of stories. We're sharing stories because they're powerful. We're sharing the testimonies because they make a pathway for us to walk on them again. If we forget to share them, we don't know they happened. <laughs> if we don't know they happened, where are the memory stones to hold on to? This is what we have to do. This is what the Israelites did so well. They crossed on the dry land. They crossed that river Jordan. They put down 12 stones, and then their kids, kids, kids see these piles of stones, and they're like, you know what that's for, Dad? No, I don't. The dad says, oh, I know what that's for. It's for when your great-great-grandpa crossed this river on dry land. What, this giant rushing river? Yes, it just split, and everyone crossed it. We have to hold these memory stones. That's what the testimony does for us. And so I'm just so grateful for you ladies, just sharing a piece of your life that we get a, we get a hold, hold dear to us. Um, you know, Blake has shared since probably year one or two that there is a testimony angel on the front stage to my left. Week after week after week. And this angel holds a scroll of testimonies. And Blake saw the scroll just like flood through the back of the room and beyond. And he was like, God, we're not that old yet. Like how do we have that many testimonies? I don't think we had that many testimonies. And the Lord said, oh, that's all the ones in the past and all the ones in the future. And it was just this layer upon layer 
of ear healed, deaf healed, pile of wheelchairs, like just wild testimonies that are our history and our DNA and our future. And, um, you know, revisiting, revisiting these foundation points. Um, in those early days, I felt there was an increased tenacity to go after the testimony. People wouldn't make it in a wheelchair very far without somebody chasing them down to go pray for them. Like, and there was this deep belief that anything is possible. Jesus has won absolute victory. That, that's going to that's gonna be a healing. That's going to be a testimony. In Psalms 119 verse 11, it says that your testimonies are my heritage forever. For they are the joy of my heart. And I believe that courage is tangibly passed down when the testimony is relayed. Do you feel like when someone shares on a microphone like a story or when someone's sitting down with you at dinner and tells you something that God did, do you feel like something shift? Like, ah, oh, that's possible? Do you feel a deposit of courage? That was another part of our who we are DNA early days. Um, my parents would go to dinner with people, and they wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> In the most beautiful way, they just shared. Anyone who would listen, they would just be erupting with testimony after testimony after testimony. And then God did this, and then God did this. This is our DNA. I feel like the Lord is inviting us to see what we've seen before. I feel there's a grace to see things with a fresh set of eyes. Because if I've seen deaf people healed, is it becoming normal? Do I like not, does it not stop me in my track and arrest me the way it once did? And I feel like the Lord is saying, see it with fresh eyes. See these See these uh, moves of the Lord with fresh eyes. I, um, I wrote down a few testimonies, a few of my favorite testimonies. And, uh, and I want to look at them with fresh eyes for just a second. Um, one was Mark Weisberg, if y'all remember him. He had never visited our church. He had gone from 190 to 130 pounds because of his migraines. They were affecting every part of his life. He walked up. We had been on the property for six weeks. He walked up, didn't know we were outside, I don't think. He met you first, Ron. Ron found him a heater to sit next to. And when someone at the front called for who wants to be healed today, he came up after the service to receive ministry. And the guy that was praying for him said, do you believe that God wants to heal you? And he said yes. I'm not sure if he really believed it, but he said yes. He got prayer, and the guy praying said, do you feel anything different? And he said no. <laughs> and a week later, he had had zero migraines. And then two weeks later, he had had zero migraines. And then three months later, he got off his medication, and he started gaining weight back <laughs> and started, you know, retaining more normal life function. And then one year later, he posts on the community page, I have been migraine-free for a whole year. My life is entirely different. And then two years later, he gets on the community page again, November 11th. He posts again, I've been migraine-free for two years. And then three years later, he posts on the community page, I've been migraine-free for three years. Four years later... You'll, you'll look, it's November 11th, I believe, 2022. He gets on there faithfully year after year. God has done something in my life. Remember this. It changed his whole trajectory of his life. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> uh, you know, another one of my favorites uh, is our very own Zaina. <laughs> And, you know, Zaina has, I don't want to get, I don't want to miss the details, but she had 
multiple blood transfusions and iron transfusions, five or six tumors in her uterus. She had a doctor tell her, oh, I don't think you're going to ever be able to have babies. Like, did they tell you all the risks of all the surgeries? You guys, she worshipped through pain for years. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, she gets another tumor. She feels it coming. And, the, and she's like, I don't have time to have a surgery. I'm getting married, <laughs> she tells her doctor. Um, and they try to get pregnant right away because of everything that's gone on with her body. And she gets pregnant right away. And her doctor is like, they, they deliver this baby. Joseph Loving, and the doctor is doing a C-section and says, this tumor is gigantic. I don't know how you, how you could ever possibly get pregnant past this tumor. And so in the C-section, he pulls out this perfectly healthy Joseph and this gigantic tumor, and there's a picture of him holding up both, the promise and the problem in the same picture. <laughs> this is our God. <laughs> this is our Jesus. He, he's won absolute victory. The victory is his. <laughs> Nothing is impossible. <laughs> Can I look at the impossibilities and realize they bow to the feet of Jesus? Impossibilities just want to bow to the feet of my king. These testimonies are our heritage. <laughs> they pave a pathway. They pave a pathway to walk on. They, they, they put memory stones in our ground. I just see them as te testimonies and foundational pieces to the floor that we stand on. If Zena can get pregnant and one doctor says it's impossible and the other doctor who she loves is laughing like, if Zena can, anyone can. This is our God. This is our God. I, uh, I've been reminded of Zechariah, you know, John the Baptist's dad. And in Luke 1... Verse 12, it says, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. He saw the angel of the Lord. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. Now I've heard that the Greek word, <laughs> so he says, the prayers you've prayed, I've come to answer. But it actually is the prayers you no longer pray, <laughs> I've come to answer. We think of Zechariah as this like righteous priest that he is, that was just interceding. But when that angel met him, he was done interceding. The prayers that you no longer pray, Zechariah, the Lord, he's coming for you. He's coming. And I have just been feeling, you know, last week in worship, I'm, I joined the pre-service worship prayer. And, you know, I'm just grateful. We just have amazing people leading us in worship week after week after week. And they're so faithfully just bringing their worship, their personal worship and inviting us into it. And uh, I just had the chance to pray with them before the service. And, you know, everyone has their own stuff going on. <laughs> Everyone's contending for things in their own life. And I'm watching them worship. And I heard Zaina just remark, oh, I, I, had I had worshiped for years with that pain going on. And I felt like, God, I can do that too. <laughs> like... There is this middle stage between the promise and the fruition that we're just kind of in the waiting. There's this limbo. And I'm watching those women worship last week, and I'm like, they can do it. I can do it. I'm standing next to somebody on my left. I'm like, I know her story. If she can do it, I can do it. I'm in my own medical 
challenges, with unknown answers. And I'm like, there's a promise on my life. <laughs> I have an 18-year-old prophetic word from Sean Boltz who said, God is giving you keys to garden living and divine health. And I'm walking in, in injustice in my health. And if they can worship in the middle of it, so can I. And there is, there is this such a power in the testimony. And there's also such a power in the middle. Like, what are we doing with our life in the middle? What are we doing while we're waiting? How do we wait with faithfulness? And the Lord honored Zechariah. <laughs> hey, you don't even pray those prayers, but I've seen those prayers. And Mary Beth talking about, oh, sometimes I worshiped, sometimes I didn't. Both are beautiful. He caught the tears. He cares about the middle. <laughs> he cares about you in the process. And I have just been meditating on Psalm 126 for a couple weeks now. And I feel the Lord say he's recovering things that you thought were lost. He's recovering things that you've even stopped praying for. In Psalm 126, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. The Passion says, may streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. <laughs> there are commentaries about Psalm 126. One says that the news of the restoration appeared too good to be true. They looked at one another in wonder. They looked at one another. It was like a dream come true. When the Lord restored the fortunes, when he restored Zion, they were like those who dream. It was a restoration so complete, so unlooked for, that it brought about at once that seemed in all these respects as a dream. Picture this, you didn't even expect it. He restored that which you didn't even think could be restored. That statement, as them that dream, could also be translated, them that are recovered to health. <laughs> they that are recovered to health, how, how wonderful it could be. You didn't even expect it. He's the restorer of that which you might have lost hope for. And I feel him in this season. He's saying, what did you hope once for? <laughs> what were you once contending for? And there's an there's a invitation to stir it up. I feel he's redigging re wells. He's redigging history. He's redigging stories so that we can say anything's possible. With God, nothing's impossible. Jesus has already won the absolute victory. He's already won it. He'll do it again. <laughs> you know, I have a favorite testimony. I'll share it real quick. It's, um, it's this sweet girl named Zoe. And we've been on mission trips to Nicaragua for years. And Harry, the main pastor there, and his wife, Helene, have a daughter named Zoe. When Zoe was five or six, they got in a pretty traumatic car accident. And she, uh, she was inoperable. And the doctor's like, I'm not doing this. And Haleen, a tenacious mother, looked at that doctor and said, you are going to operate on my daughter. God will work through your hands. You will do it. It will work. I believe it. I, like, she's prophesying in her own illness from the car accident God will do it again. My God will do it again. 
And the doctors, you know, hesitantly says, okay, I'll operate on her. But if I open her up and it's as bad as it is, I'm going to close her back. And the mom's like, it's fine, you operate. <laughs> so you can't get between a mom and bear. So the doctor operates on her. The little girl, Zoe, remains in a coma for a handful of days. And she miraculously recovers. <laughs> and she's like, Mom, we got to thank these doctors and make them dinner. <laughs> and her mom says, okay. And so she brings them into the room to start thanking them. And Zoe's like, Mom, these aren't the doctors. <laughs> she's like, my doctors were dressed in white and they made me laugh and they sang songs to me the whole time. And they fought that guy that was dressed in black. That's my Jesus. <laughs> this little girl had an encounter with the King of Kings on an operating table when it was all looking impossible. <laughs> they proceed to tell her, it's COVID, you can't go outside, Zoe. And she's like, Dad, people are dying of COVID. I have to tell them about Jesus. She literally goes on the streets with her parents evangelizing day after day. The only family member that doesn't get COVID. <laughs> the most beautiful little girl is just, just full of faith. That's my God. That's my God. And I just feel this invitation. If you'll just, uh, if you'll just stand with me. There's an invitation in the room for the restorer. <laughs> These testimonies, they are our DNA. They are our history. They are our future. They are written on a scroll that goes way back past this building. <laughs> they are who we are. They are who you are. What's my testimony is your testimony, and what's yours, I'm taking for myself. <laughs> and and he's like those, he restores those. <laughs> he's recovering things that you've lost hope for. We're going to be like those who dream. <laughs> when the Lord restored Zion, they were like those who dream. And our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord is going to say of Bethel, Atlanta, the nations are going to say, wow, the Lord's done great things for them. He's going to look at your life and say, wow. People are going to look at your life and say, the Lord has done great things for them. Look at what he's done. Won't he do it again? In the middle, in the waiting, we wait and hold those promises. We, I hold my promise that I'm going to have keys to divine health in the middle of a body that is not feeling perfect. We hold these promises that anyone who wants a baby gets a baby in the middle of people's infertility journey. We are like those in Zion whose hopes are restored. We are like those who dream again. We are those people. You are that person. We are the dreaming ones. We're the crazy ones. When life looks really impossible, when circumstances look bleak, that is not our portion and that is not our forever. That might be our middle, but it's not the fruition of the promise. We are more than conquerors. <laughs> He doesn't leave his promises left void. <laughs> he 
makes them come to pass. You are building your family. That's what he said, and that's what he did. <laughs> he, is the, he is the one who, who redeems that which was lost. He recovers that which was lost. And he's the restorer of the brokenhearted. He's the restorer of that which was lost. Hmm. His promises are yes and amen. He is the healer. He is the redeemer. He is the restorer. He comes and he sits with the brokenhearted. I would love you to pray in tongues and feel, I just believe the Lord is going to restore that which is lost. He is the restorer. We are like those who dream again. Then our mouths will be filled with laughter. <laughs> With songs of joy, ki alama nasi andadai. And it'll be said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. It'll be said, the Lord has done great things. We are people of hope, we are people of promise, and we are people that hold strong to that hope in the middle of waiting for that promise. We are those who hold strong to the hope in the promise. We handle the middle really well, Bethel Atlanta. <laughs> He's near to us. He's near to us in the middle. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in our body. I thank you for the promises over this house. I thank you for the promises over these individuals. I thank you that we are people of promise. That people are going to say of us, the Lord has done great things for them. <laughs> thank you for you being a restorer. Lord, we just love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.